Welcome to Relevant Live with Pastor Chris Sarno, a weekly podcast from Relevant Church in Daytona Beach, Florida. We pray that this message inspires hope, help, and healing in your life. And as always, welcome home. Everybody doing well on this Wednesday night? Yes, I want to take just a moment and welcome all of those that are watching online. We're so glad that you're here and that you tuned in with us and that you're going to be a part of this service. We know that God has amazing things in store for you today. So again, Pastor Chris and Liz uh, send you a cheerio all the way from London uh, tonight. Today they're in London. They made it there safely. All is well. They're getting ready to preach it up and preach the gospel. And we know that signs, wonders, and miracles are going to follow there just like they're going to happen here. Amen. Um, So I hope tonight that you've come expecting God to do amazing things. But before we get into the word, we come to one of my favorite parts of the service. It is now time for our tithes and our offerings. Amen. God loves a cheerful giver. So I'm always, I've learned and trained myself to be a cheerful giver. I wasn't always a cheerful giver um, because very often it was hard and difficult for me to give. Um, but thank God for his prosperity and growth. So let's go to 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 9. I want to talk to you about a revelation just for a moment. I'm going to talk to you guys about a revelation that Paul had from the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 9. I feel like I just did this last time I was here with you, but um, where's Brittany? I don't know where she is tonight, but I'm, I'm joking with her. I'm like, this is one of my favorite scriptures <laughs> on um, tithes and offerings. Uh, I have it um, in my I used to carry it around in my wallet on an index card um, just to kind of remind me of the word. And this is the amplified version. And it says, now remember this, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And he who sows generously will, uh, he who sows generously, that blessing may come to him. To others will also reap generously and be blessed. We're going to keep going. Let's see, that's verse six. Let's go on to verse seven. Um, every man, it says, each one, let each one give thoughtfully and with purpose, just as he has decided in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver and delights in the one whose heart is in his gift. So I read it from there because how many of you know when you memorize scripture very often, like I can memorize that in King James Version. I love the Amplify because it really uh, breaks it down, but you must sow willingly. You must sow in a way that, that offers God's grace to come in to give you faith to sow very often. You enter a flow of grace that enables you to trust God to sow by faith. I got to repeat that. Because you sow by faith. You sow your seed knowing that God is going to do his part because you are doing your part. So what happens is when you sow willingly, your heart is stitched with a sowing grace, so to speak, upon your finances. Because you're saying, God, I'm going to willfully give to you and I'm going to willfully understand that you're going to bring it back according to your word. Because here's the thing, when you sow that way and you're sowing in grace from God, you won't be afraid of the condition of the world. You won't be afraid of what your bank account says. You won't be afraid of how the world's economy looks because it'll no longer matter to you because you'll be operating from a perspective of faith because you're sowing by his grace. You'll be, you'll be cheerful. You'll be a happy giver. You'll be able to give willf- willingly. Okay, so let's keep reading in verse 8. It says, and God is able to make all grace, every favor and earthly blessing come in abundance to you. If you have a highlighter or are highlighting that in your Bible, come in abundance to you should be one of the things that you have highlighted in your Bible. So then it says, so that you may always under all circumstances, regardless of need, have complete sufficiency in everything. We could go home on that right there. (laughs) Sufficiency in everything. It says being completely self-sufficient in him and have an abundance for every good work and act of charity as it is written and forever remains written, right? It says he, the benevolent, benevolent, okay, and generous person scattered abroad, he gave to the poor, his righteousness endures forever, So here's the next part. You want a secret? 
you don't ever have to worry about how you're going to get seed to sow. Not one time in your life. When you come in here willing to give, God will always provide you with seed to sow. How do we know that? Let's read verse 10. It says, now he who provides seed for the sower, that's God, and bread for food will provide and multiply your seed for sowing. That is your resource. God always multiplies your resource and increase the harvest of your righteousness, which shows itself in active goodness, kindness, and love. So what I want you to do, if you're sincere in your giving today, I like to write stuff on my offering envelopes. And in fact, that's one of my favorite parts of doing contributions is reading the backs and standing in agreement with people as we're opening the envelopes. When I see those prayer requests, we can be prayerful as we're opening the envelopes and counting the money that I can look at your confession of faith that you have for your finances and stand in agreement with you. So those envelopes aren't just envelopes. They are your confession of seed that you are sowing. So if you would like, I wrote this on the last envelope I had. Teach me, Lord, how to maximize my sowing. I wrote that because I want God to teach me to maximize how I give. With that request, I can understand that I'm not only asking the Lord to maximize my harvest, but I'm asking him to maximize my financial life. And because he maximizes my financial life, he maximizes my right to not operate under the world system, but operate under the system of, that God created and God set up for me. And that I never have to live according to God, the world system, but I only live according to to God's system. So pray that he maximizes your sowing so that you don't have to operate in that anymore. Because I think it's super important when we're sowing our seed and bringing our offering to the Lord that we are able to do so willfully and willingly and cheerfully and bring it to the Lord. And I know God is going to watch over your harvest because when you sow seeds of money, you reap seeds of money. Amen. <laughs> Amen. Let's get our offerings ready if ushers want to get ready to bring that up. There's several ways you can give. You can fill out that offering envelope. You can give online at relevantfl.org giving. You can text to give 386-968-1103. You can do that today however you want to give. But write that prayer. Teach me, Lord, to maximize my seed. Amen. I'm going to pray over that seed right now. Father God, I thank you, God, that just as your word says that you maximize our seed. God, I thank you that you bring seed to the sower. We thank you for increase of harvest in the lives of the believers that are sitting in this place. And we thank you for it now. In the name of Jesus, we pray, amen and amen. You guys may receive the offering. While they're doing that, it's so um, amazing to me. So, you know, we had our conference last week. The Spirit of God moved. You know, it's so powerful, you know, just being able to abide in the presence of the Lord and in those levels and in that way. And um, it was funny because I told Pastor Chris before he left, I said, you know, I'm going to take a few moments and talk about a passion of my heart before I preach tonight, and that is Bible college. Um, IBTC, the International Bible Training Center, is a fully accredited Bible college. It's a passion of my heart to see people transformed by the Word of God, through the Word of God. Your life will be so changed and transformed even with just one year of school. You want, I don't even recognize the people that sit in front of me. By the time, at, you know, at the end of their studies, whether it's their two-year associate, their four-year bachelor's, your master's, your doctorate, whatever it is, I see several students scattered about. Can I see any hands? Would you guys show me? Former students of IBTC, current students of IBTC. So you see them all scattered around here. We have, it, it truly is an international school. A lot of people don't realize that we have schools in Belgium. We have schools in Africa. We have schools... You know, in Myanmar, we have schools in Asia, India, so they are literally all over. Our international schools are huge, and so our phrase is always be a part of something bigger than yourself, because when you join and you discipline yourself in the Word, 
and you discipline yourself in the studies of, of the Word. You might think, well, what in the world do you study about in Bible school? Well, we study a lot of stuff. We study about the gifts of the Spirit. We study about faith. We study about righteousness. We study about Bible doctrines. We take New Testament and Old Testament survey. And those are just to name a few. I have a little table set up in the back with some sample books as well as like a first-year course outline with um, the names of the books we use and all types of stuff. So, I said all that to say, Pastor Chris's anointing is awesome. And, you know, we were both trained at the same place, so I know that God knits everything together for a reason, for a purpose, for a plan. And I'm so thankful and honored that they have asked me to, to bring the word to you guys tonight. So it is no accident. I know the word I preach tonight is going to be straight from heaven because I endured some opposition today. But God is faithful and God is able, so I'm just blessed to be with you tonight. And so I want to encourage all of my students, all of my note takers, we are going to teach the word tonight. We're going to break it down. Now, don't be afraid. Poor Becca in the back was like, how many pages of notes do you have? That's just my method. I like to be overprepared. Call me whatever. I can't help it. <laughs> um, but I will say this. I will. I promise to get you out of here in a reasonable time. Is that a deal? But I do have one request from you. Pull, okay? I need you to pull on what God has in this building because what we're going to talk about tonight is not an easy subject. In fact, when pastor was like, hey, I really feel like you should talk about this, I was like, hmm, really? I get the privilege of talking. Now, this is the great thing. It's straight from the Spirit because I'm like, all right. Now, usually, Pastor Chris, he's great. He's like, preach whatever you want. But how many of you know, a lot of times the Spirit will preach alongside of whatever pastor is preaching. So regardless of what I want to preach, right, it's not about what I want. It's about, number one, what you need. Okay, so I come here bringing the word not for me, but for you. That word that's coming today is for you. So I have some stage props, which I might need some help with later because I wasn't very successful with it. Uh, you guys see it all up here? We're going to talk about this in just a minute. Yes, I'm a country girl. I'm from Kentucky. And uh, yes, ma'am, another Kentucky girl back there. They got a couple Kentucky girls, right? <laughs> but um, it's so cool when, you, when it comes down to it, and this series that Pastor has been preaching on, on produce, they've been talking about the fruit that you produce in your life. And as believers, we are called to take care of the garden of our heart so that it produces the best fruit possible, correct? Because an untended garden, any good gardener, Oma, knows that an untended garden produces no fruit but produces weeds. So we have to best produce the best fruit in our life, and often we lack that fruit because we've untended our garden, right? And because maybe we've fallen into some traps that Satan has set for us. Now, also people that have a garden have vermins in their garden. Oma has had a cat and all, bugs, right? All kinds of other stuff. Squirrels, those are vermins. <laughs> Well, I mean, you know, they steal the bird seed from the back of our house. So, I mean, it's for the birds, not the squirrels, right? So, sometimes in life, we have to set some traps to capture some vermin. But how many of you know that Satan often sets traps in our lives to keep us entangled so that we cannot produce the fruit that we need to produce in our life? Because opportunities, guys, will always present themselves for offense, okay? They're going to happen. No matter what we do in our life, offense is going to come. We have to continually guard against that temptation to become offended. We have to guard against the temptation to, to, guard, to, to um, give in to that temptation to hold grudges and other negative emotions. Offense comes in to kill any cultivation of the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. Offense is the enemy's strategy to keep us from fulfilling God's plan for our lives. Certainly people can yield to Satan and be used by him, but often it's not people that's the problem. Often 
it's the devil, right? Jesus himself told us it would be impossible to avoid offense. Let's look at uh, Luke 17 and 1. Now listen, Jesus was not just, he wasn't coming in here as the bearer of bad news, right? He wasn't like throwing a damper on the parade. He was telling the truth, right? He was saying, hey, it says here in Luke 17, 1, then said he unto the disciples, it is impossible that offenses will come, but woe unto him through whom they come. So in this verse, when you are looking at this particular scripture, there's one thing we all need to learn, and it's how to deal people, deal with people, because offenses inevitably occur, occur in life. I'm sure you can think of a couple times when you've been offended. Yeah, yeah, never. <laughs> I know, you're like, just kidding. No, I was like, really, that's impressive. We have to talk after this. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> no, it's true, though, when you think about life, I can count quite a few times when I've been offended. Quite a few. More than I'd like to admit, okay? So when you think about this, we need to learn how to deal with this. So I'm going to break down the word offense for you. So all of my students and people that are learning the word, the word offense comes from the Greek word scandalon. And I'm probably saying that wrong, but I listened to it a hundred times on Google Translate, so I was hoping I got it right that time. I was walking around all day in the office going, scandalon. And sc yes, so that was pretty fun to anybody that was in the building. And I was walking around trying to speak Greek, uh, which was pretty fun. Um, but that word scandal, scandal, look, I've got it all messed up now that I don't say it in the British accent, scandalon. <laughs> so when you look at that word, that's where we get the word scandal from. Okay, that's where we get the word scandal from. And that's where it's a, it's a powerful picture that I really want you to understand, which is why I brought this with me. Okay, so I do have a purpose for this, and I might need help in a minute so I don't scream. But anyway, <laughs> so the purpose of this, there was a, in the old, in, back in the day, a long, long time ago, no, they didn't have metal traps, okay? They, they, so, so envision that this is wood or branches or however they built them in Bible days, okay? And so what happens is, I don't know if you guys can see, but there, oh, is this set? It's not set. Can you come set it real quick? Thanks. Sorry. Time out. Technical difficulties. <laughs> Thanks, honey. That's my handsome husband. Um, so <laughs> I can't set it either. I don't know why. We tried it three or four times. But okay. Thanks, honey. Okay. So there's a little hook up here in the top. So this would be called, do you guys see it all right here? Hold on. If I bump it, will, if I move it, will it snap? Okay, so I'm not going to move it, okay? If you want to see it after, I'll show you. So look, it's got this little hook right here, okay? This would be called the scandalon, okay? Forgive me as I say it with a British accent. <laughs> so this is the scandalon, and it... <laughs> so this is what holds this trap up, right? So right now, it's set. So what you would do is you would put some food in the back here. Okay? And what this food is going to do is it's going to lure the animal inside of this because you put it behind here. And the moment the animal unknowingly steps right here, if you're skittish, watch out, it falls shut <laughs> and traps them inside. Okay, So this little piece right here holds it up. But that animal hits it, and it falls down. So that little tiny piece of wood is what keeps that trap open. And that animal walks in and unknowingly sets the trap, trapping it in the cage. This word is also, in the New Testament, used to talk. Uh, if you look with me, go to 1 Peter 2 and 8. It also means to trip, to stumble, to lose your footing, to waver, to falter, and to fall down. So here in 1 Peter 2 and 8, it says, A stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, even to them which stumble at the word, being disobedient unto where, unto also they were appointed. 
So here, again, we're going to keep talking about this. So keep that word in your mind. Keep that meeting in your mind. A small piece of wood or a rock, okay? So what happens is when Jesus was talking about this in Luke 17, 1, he used this word to warn us to avoid events that will happen in our lives that will come to trip us up. Because sometimes Satan baits us with something, drawing us into a trap which he knows will become offended. When we bump into that offense, that moment of offense, what happens is that door slams shut and it traps us inside. So we're like a caged animal and we suddenly find ourselves caught in a miserable situation, trapped in damaging and negative emotions because we are now trapped in here because we have given in to offense and allowed offense to come in. So with that being said, if you look at Luke 17.1, it can be translated to read as this. It is simply unthinkable that you would allow yourself to dream that you could live this life without an opportunity to be lured into a situation, that you could be lured into a situation that could potentially snare you in the feelings of offense. Now we've said all along, feelings will lie to you. Feelings are not the word. Feelings are not true. If this is what Jesus meant, we need to know the nature of that bait that Satan uses us to get us offended, to trap us in the feelings of offense. And offense occurs when we see or hear or experience a behavior that's different than what we've expected, right? It's different than what we've seen, maybe expected, and it causes you to falter. It causes you to stumble, just like we talked about that word means. It causes you to wobble. Where at? In your spirit? No, in your soul, in your mind, in your will, in your emotions. And what happens is you're so stunned by what you've maybe observed, and you're so stunned by that mis by that failed expectation that you lose your footing and you stumble and you fall. But the sad part is, often when that happens to us, our disbelief, when we are in that shock turns to disbelief, and then that disbelief turns into disappointment, and disappointment turns into offense. If you'll think back in your life on any time that you have been offended, you will find its roots in that feeling of disappointment because it's been allowed to fester. It's been allowed to be trapped inside of your heart instead of released like God meant it to be released, right? But it always comes down to choice because we've all experienced this kind of dis disappointment. I could sit down with each one of you and you could tell me about a time when you've been disappointed and your expectations haven't been met and you wanted to see something that you no longer see, right? That opportunity to get offended comes to all of us. And as long as we live and breathe, we have to combat this nuisance. We have to combat this feeling. We have to reflect Refuse to allow it place in our hearts, in the garden of our hearts, in the garden, in our minds. We cannot allow it. We have to stand against it. Now, when we're talking about garden, we're talking about life. How many of you ever played competitive sports or, um, or have kids that play competitive sports? Okay, so don't ever play any game with me. I'm super competitive. I only like to play the game if I win. So Sean and I to this day cannot play a game against each other or somebody is sleeping on the couch. <laughs> we are really bad. It's, it's pretty fun in our house. So, um, so that's where it's like in any competitive sport, um, you learn a lot of good things. If you really need to win at a sport, can somebody tell me what you need maybe like in terms of a competitive sport? Uh-huh. You need a good defense. That's good. So listen, your offense can be rocking. Your offense can be great. And you might do really well, but unless you have a good defensive plan and unless you're ready with a good defense, are you going to win a lot? 
No. So what we're going to do tonight is I'm going to give you some defensive moves in order to help you succeed against the obstacle of offense, okay? To avoid the trap that Satan sets for us when it comes to offense. So one of, again, that's how we can ensure it. So um, everybody go with me to Ephesians 6 and 10. When you left the house this morning... What is one thing we all did? We got dressed. We put our clothes on, hopefully. <laughs> Unless you're in line for school, right? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> that school pickup line, some, or drop-off line is scary some days. No, but did, didn't we all get dressed this morning? So wouldn't it be equally important uh, as children of God, as, as, as people in the army of the Lord... That we put on that armor of God in our life. Because guess why we wear that armor? So we can stand against the attacks of the enemy. Now, I am a King James lover. I love King James. I always revert back to it when I'm studying. However, I've recently become a little in love with the message translation. I just like the different perspective it provides it's not all, um, you have to always read a King James too, okay? So for my students in the room, I would tell you, read your King James first, which you'll learn about in history of the Bible, how we came to get our Bible, okay? And which is cool to learn. But we read in King James, and then I read as many translations of that verse as possible, which is why I gave Rebecca my notes, because I said, well, I have a little bit of this, and a little bit of that translation, and a little bit of made up. Not really made up, but, you know, like inferred, like I read to you in Luke, right? How we broke it down according to the Greek. So you can find that in the Greek lexicon. But I love this because this made me so happy. I almost wanted to run around the office the other day when I heard it. Okay, so I'm going to read it in the message. Are we ready? I know I'm ready. I'm, I'm like, this is the best part. It's my favorite verse, Brittany. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> it's a good verse. Okay. So, <laughs> So we're going to read, I think I want to start, yes, at 10. So look, it's going to seem like a lot of verses, but hang in there because the word's the best part of this whole sermon, okay? All right, so it says, and that about wraps it up. Okay, <laughs> again, is that not great? Look, that wraps it up. God is strong, and he wants you strong. So take everything the master has set out for you. Well-made weapons of the best material. Thank God he gives us only the best, right? And put them to use so that you will be able to stand up to everything the devil throws your way. Keep going. This is no afternoon athletic contest that we'll walk away from and forget about in a couple of hours. This is for keeps, a life or death fight to the finish against the devil and all his angels. Wait, it keeps going. It's so good. Be prepared. You're up against far more than you can handle on your own. Can I get an amen right there? <laughs> Far more than you can handle on your own. Take all the help you can get. Every weapon God has issued so that when it's all over, all over but the shouting, you'll still be on your feet standing solid, right? It says, be on your feet in truth, righteousness, peace, faith, and salvation are more than words. Learn how to apply them. You'll need them throughout your life. Here, here we go. Underline this part. God's word is an indispensable weapon. In the same way, prayer is essential in this ongoing warfare. Pray hard and long. Pray for your brothers and sisters. Keep your eyes open. Keep each other's spirits up so that no one falls behind or drops out. Two more verses. And don't forget to pray for me. And I love this part because this really describes Paul really well. He says, pray that I'll know what to say, that I'll have the courage to say it at the right time, telling the mystery to one and all, the message that I, jailbird preacher that I am, am responsible for getting out. Is that not so powerful? 
like, guys, we wake up every day and can walk in that truth. We can walk in that forgiveness. We can get dressed in his righteousness. That's what you can do. Every single day, God has given us those weapons to fight against the traps that the enemy sets in our lives, causing us to not produce the things that God has for us. So are, did you get dressed this morning? If you got dressed this morning, that explains it, right? That explains how you're standing here, how you're sitting in here, how you got through everything that the devil tried to throw your way because you endeavored to be dressed and ready for battle because we have been given that whole armor of God. Everything we need to successfully combat the enemy, we have it. There's nothing lacking. There's every piece of armor has a significance in our battle against the enemy. Now, I will tell you, if you ever get a chance to study that armor and how it played a significance in the Roman army and how every piece was created for a function, for a purpose to defeat the enemy, it was like cutting edge armor. We could be here all night to preach on just that. But let me just tell you, God has equipped you and God has given you everything that you need at the tips of your fingers. If you'll only put it on and if you'll only use it, a sword that sits in the corner is a sword that doesn't cut because you're not moving it around. So in order to allow you that word of the spirit to go forth, you have to use it because that's what's sharp. The sword by itself isn't sharp. The short, the sword is sharp when you use it to cut through the battle that the enemy is putting in your way. So I'm telling you, put on that armor of God. And when you put on that armor of God, I will tell you that the success of your life seeks that the enemy comes to seek every opportunity to destroy you, but it depends on the choices that you make, whether you succeed or whether you fail. Because once your armor is on and you're ready for battle, there are still things we have to do in our defensive life that God, that we're in right now as believers. We have to walk in forgiveness. Everybody say, ouch. <laughs> so don't, cur you know, curl your toes up and get ready because forgiveness is possibly one of the hardest things to do as a believer um, or in the life of anybody. And forgiveness can be very difficult. And you may not even know you need to have forgiveness for somebody. You may not even need to, might, may not even realize it. Um, I think I'm going to read. Mm -hmm. Let me read Luke 17, 3, Becca. And then I'm going to go right to 2 Corinthians 2. And sometimes this is a, a subject that um, I'm just going to encourage you that sometimes forgiveness you have to forgive in faith. Sometimes you have to say, okay, I'm going to forgive, right? So this is, if your brother trespasses against thee, rebuke him, and if he repent, forgive him. Then in 2 Corinthians 2 and 5, hmm, I'm going to read 5 through 11. Becca, you can just do King James. That's perfect. Okay, so um, it says, but if any have caused grief, he hath not grieved me, but in part that I may not overcharge you all. Sufficient to such as a man is punishment, which, he, which was inflicted of many. So that counter, contrarywise, contrarywise, ye ought rather to forgive him and confront him, lest perhaps such a one should be swallowed up with overmuch sorrow. Verse 8. Wherefore, I beseech you that you would confirm your love toward him. For to this end also did I write that I might know the proof of you, whether you be obedient in all things. Verse 10. Whom ye forgave anything, I forgive also. For if I forgave anything to whom I forgave it, for your sakes forgive it in the person of Christ. Okay. Verse 11, last verse. Lest, here we go, lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. So see, we know he has a trap for us. We know he has set it up. So let's not be ignorant and walk in unforgiveness. Now, <clears throat> I'm going to share a little personal story. Um, I was deeply hurt and offended by a pastor in a previous ministry 
probably a few previous ministries, and many of you that have gone to church probably could say the same um, about, you know, different things that occurred um, in your own life. But what really hurt me was that I had trusted this person, and I had a really high regard for them, and it just did not work. It just, my whole, like, I was young in the Lord, and I kind of had said, oh, this is, you know, I know this is where God's called me, and you put your all effort in, and then it just, without getting into details, we'll just say it went south, okay? Um, but I really didn't know what to do with the situation because I'd never really experienced hurt in that way from, from a brother or sister in Christ. Um, and I never really felt that much disappointment or disillusionment. And so I didn't know what to do with it. I really was like, he needs to be held accountable for what he's done to me and so many others, right? Okay, like, hey, this is awful. I can't believe this is outrageous, right? And I, I just really could not deal with the fact that he just went along freely with no consequence and, and you know, there, there was, you know, no problem for this deep wound that I had on my heart and in my life. And I'll never forget, I just, it just felt, I just was like, I don't know what to do, you know, like, I don't know where to go. I, I was, I could understand that my relationship with the Lord was not faltered. I, it hadn't rocked me, right? I was like, but I knew that something needed to, to change, right? I was like, something needs to happen. Holy Spirit, help me. And I'll never forget that the Holy Spirit spoke to me, and he said, your only option is to let it go. He said to me, if you hold, I wrote this down because I got it out of my journal from a long time ago. If you hold on to this pain and hurt, it will imprison you to your emotions and hinder you from moving forward in the things I have in store for you. I remember when I first heard that, my thought was, really, God? Seriously? Like, you're asking me to forgive, and I wasn't released yet from that particular place, right? And the hardest part for me was keeping my mouth shut, uh, because I, you know, <laughs> I wanted to be like, how, I can't believe that, how wrong this is, right? But he really was just telling me to let it go. And that was really hard for me because I felt like, you know, offended, right? <laughs> I felt upset. But I couldn't see that the offender felt guilty for what he had done. He'd suffered no pain that I could see, no suffering had been inflicted upon him, no negative thoughts. He was free, right? He didn't, he didn't wrestle with that thought, and if you've ever held on to an inward offense and if you've ever held on to something and not dealt with it quickly, you probably know it has a way of eating at your soul. It has a way of spoiling your outlook on life. It has a way of, of, of adversely affecting your view of others. And of course, it impacts your spiritual life. You can't produce good fruit if you're feeding on thoughts that are bad. You can't produce that. It's going to negatively impact your spiritual life and ultimately stunt the growth of any fruit that God wants to produce in you. So I had one option, let it go or let it go, right? Those were the only two options I had. I realized that there was, that there was really only one choice, let it go, <laughs> right? Letting it go is exactly what the Spirit of, uh, had told me to do. And it reminds me of that, those words in Luke 17, 3 and in Mark eleven twenty five. It says in 17.3 that if uh, thy brother trespass pass against thee, rebuke him, and if he re repent, forgive him. Then in Mark 11.25, he gives us the full solution, okay? I like to say this is the full solution. It says, and when you stand praying, forgive. Forgive if you have aught against any. See, here's the thing. Can I be real with you? I could remain in emotional bondage to the pain that had been inflicted on my life, or I could forgive him and walk away, even if he never, ever recognized the extent of the damage that he had done. I, Jesus expects us to have a mature role to forgive others, regardless of how they behave. Did you know that that word forgive in the Greek, in modern day terms, really does mean let it go? It really does mean let it go. And when I had a revelation of that, I was like, when God literally told me, I can't do any, I can't move you forward and what I have for you if you hang on to this. I was like, well, I don't know how this is going to work. 
Because I was the only one that could rip out that root of bitterness that had started to grow, that offense that had started to grow in the garden of my heart. Because if you're ever going to be free, and if you're ever going to really move forward in the things that God has for you, in the fully in the power that he wants to offer you, you have to release that offense. You have to let it go. Because it builds a stronghold in your heart, and it taints everything else that you come in contact with in your life. But you have to make the choice to regarding any past defense. You have to say, this day I'm going to let it go and I'm going to walk in the freedom that Jesus has for my life. You have to let it go. I'm not going to sing the song for you, but you can Google it later, the Let It Go Frozen song. Jam it out in your car if you have to. I don't care. That could be spiritual, right? (laughs) But let it go. Don't allow it. But how how can you let it go and stay free? You can do that by abiding in the word. And when you abide in the word, Psalms 119, 165, it says, great peace to those who love your law, your word. Oh, can you feel the peace of God? Like seriously, great peace have they which love the law. That's his word, okay? And nothing shall offend them. Nothing shall offend them. Other translations say nothing causes them to stumble. Here, this verse is talking about loving God's word. When we love the word and hide it in our hearts, there's nothing, there's nothing that we won't be able to recognize and be able to see for the attacks of the enemy. Psalms 119, 105 says, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Okay, when the word of God is in our hearts and we're abiding in the word, we can see what's coming so we don't stumble. I'm going to read this just as I wrote it because I think it's really good. It says, when I wrote, when God's word shines into our lives, Its glorious and brilliant light is so strong, here we go, that it exposes every dark area that remains in our souls and minds. And as the light of the word shines on our darkness and works in our hearts and minds, we are reproved, we are convicted, and we are censored by the Holy Spirit because his light illuminates the dark places that are in our, our, our environment. It, it illuminates our soul so that we know that we can walk free because when we're like that and that light shines, we don't remain in darkness any longer. We are changed because as we renew our minds according to the word and as we think on the word and as we put the word before us, what happens is we start to think correctly and we can avoid any trap that the enemy has set before us because that word is what shines in our life so that we can walk free from the trap of the enemy. That is a benefit to the word. You can walk free because it illuminates the darkness in your life. You just have to get that word in so it can illuminate it, right? Because very often Bible reading, you know, like when you're in the Catholic church, they don't tell you to read the Bible. We're telling you, read the word. Why? Because you've got to put more word in so that it illuminates the darkness. Because if you neglect to include the word of God in your daily life, then how? It's going to affect every part of your life. The regular absence of the word of God from your life jeopardizes your faith. Guys, it steals your joy. It comes in and it it, it, it helps you. It makes you intolerant of people. I mean, it does all of these things. It traps you in offense because you're not prepared with the word of God. When you ignore your daily Bible reading time, it it affects your ability to cultivate the fruits of the Spirit in your life. Because word goes in, word should come out. When you don't put word in, word can't come out. So when you're not feeding your soul, when you're not feeding your spirit and training your mind, when the attacks of the enemy come, you can't fight against it because no word is coming out because you've put no word in. And people don't realize the importance of that word. I don't care how you got 
got it, got to get it in you. If you got to listen to it, if you got to read it, I don't care how it happens, but get that word in you because it can be the most powerful thing in your life to fight against the traps of the devil because now we have those benefits. Don't leave that out. Those are benefits of the word. You have to keep a firm hold on the word of God in your heart because then you avoid those traps. You see them for what they are. That might look like good meat, but that's not good meat in there. That's rotten meat in there, right? Because you see it because you got the word in you because you know it's there. The more you abide in the word, the easier it is to cultivate the fruit of the spirit in your life. And when you cultivate that spirit, when you cultivate that fruit, it helps you to avoid. So let's talk really quick about cultivating that fruit. I know I got you five more minutes, maybe six. I see five minutes and five minutes. <laughs> oh, that's how many? 15 minutes? 20 minutes? <laughs> okay. I've only got a couple more points. You guys okay? Can we keep going? Okay, good. All right, so we've been camping out in Galatians chapter 5, right? So all these last two months, guys, it's been like eight weeks on the fruit of the Spirit. We should all be bright and shiny, delicious fruit right now, right? <laughs> so fruit of the Spirit. Okay, Galatians 5. Um, we'll, we'll read from 22, Becca. But if you look at Galatians 5, 19 and through 21, it's talking about, you know, the, the works of the flesh. And it goes through all of those. And then it starts talking about the fruit. Well, fruit is wonderful. Fruit is healthy for us. It's tasty. It's delicious. When you're not eating sugar, it tastes like sugar, which is fantastic. Um, it's even better when it's dipped in chocolate, but <laughs> but fruit is good for us, right? That's why I think Paul uses that illustration of fruit because it is so healthy for us. And it's, it's universally like, honestly, uh, you don't have to raise your hand, but is there anybody in here that doesn't like any fruit? Everybody in here likes fruit. If you're online, let me know if you don't like fruit. I want to know. But listen, seriously, fruit is delicious. I, I mean, there's at least one kind of fruit you like, right? You might not like them all, but you like some kind of fruit, right? And I think that's why Paul uses fruit, because everybody likes fruit. But a life dominated by the Spirit is filled with benefits. It's filled with blessings. So regardless if, if it's a plant, if it's an animal, if, if, if it's a human, all fruit is produced from some kind of seed, correct? If there's no seed, no fruit, right? And a seed, when it's sown, determines the fruit that's produced, right? So apples produce oranges, right? They always, dogs produce, humans, <laughs> humans, right? So the character of the seed is what determines the fruit, right? So that seed determines the fruit. The moment we ask Jesus into our hearts as our Savior, we do so by faith, right? God, what he does, is this is so cool. I'm sure you know this, but it's so cool. So God sows his spirit and word into where your heart like a seed. And because he sows it into your heart like a seed and you're spiritually born again by an incorruptible seed, that means that seed can never die. It can never leave. It's incorruptible. Nothing can conquer it, right? You're sown in your heart by an incorruptible seed of the word of God. First Peter 1.23, if you need verse for that, it's an incorruptible seed. Just like apples always produce apples and oranges produce oranges, God's seed inside of you only can produce God only can produce God things in your life because God's seed inside of you immediately, the moment it's planted, the harvest is there. Immediately it produces, okay? So I ask you this, does a vine dresser uh, worry that his grapevines would produce oranges? Here in Florida, we, are the, we have lots of oranges. Do you think uh, they would go out and expect apples? No, they don't, because he knows that, that he knows that his trees will produce oranges because they only produce oranges. Somebody wants to grow watermelon? Plant those watermelon seeds. Then you're going to have vines of watermelon everywhere to partake of, that juicy, yummy watermelon. But that same principle is true in the spirit. We don't realize that same principle is true in the spirit sometimes. 
okay? It, it's true in the spirit realm. To get what you want, you have to plant the right seed, okay? Because seed always produces fruit after its kind. That's why when I tell you to sow money and write something on it, what kind of seed are you sowing? It's going to come back, right? It's a principle. It's a law of sowing and reaping. It's part of what happens. That same principle holds true. So if God has sown his spirit and word into your heart, you have every right to expect divine fruit to produce and show forth in your own life. Amen? And as you allow the spirit to produce those fruits in your life, guess what? People are going to love to hang out with you. People are going to love to be near you. It's going to be a pleasurable experience because you're partaking of love, therefore you're sowing love, therefore you're sowing joy, you're sowing peace, you're, so, you're sowing long-suffering and patience and gentleness and kindness and faith. You are sowing those things. They're evident in your life. And guess what? When they're evident in your life, people want to come back for more. And people want to come back and, and hang with you because you're producing those right things. So don't give way to the flesh. Don't allow offense to produce an ugly work in your life. Instead, yield to the Spirit. Allow the seed of God's Word and the seed of that to produce Spirit in your life. You're the one who makes that decision. You're the one who makes the decision of what's going to rule you. So choose wisely. Choose wisely. How many of you guys at recess, when you were little, this is going back a little ways for me, maybe for some others. But recess, okay, you go to pick teams, you're going to play, I don't know, what did you all play, dodgeball? Is that a good one? Kickball? I don't know. What do you think? Dodgeball? Okay. So you're going to pick dodgeball, right? So dodgeball comes, and you want to be the captain, right? So I'm going to be the captain, and somebody else is the captain, and I'm hoping I can rock, paper, scissors, win it to be the first one to pick. Why do I want to be the first one to pick? I get the best players because I play to win. Remember I told you that earlier today. I play to win. So I'm picking everybody I know and leaving Gimpy Jim over there somewhere. If anybody's named Jim, I'm sorry. I don't mean you. <laughs> Jim's not here tonight in the media booth. <laughs> I don't know where that came from. Anyway, back to my story. You have to choose wisely if you want to win in life. Who are your teammates? Who are the people that you are surrounding yourself to sow good things into your life? Who are the people that you're choosing to associate with, to listen to, to speak into you, right? Pastor Chris and Pastor Liz, they get you two times a week if you come on Wednesday like all you lovely people, right? So if you come, you get them twice a week. What are you doing the other five days? Who are you choosing to speak into your life? Who are you choosing to, to influence you? 1 Corinthians 15, Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. I don't care. Guys, it's going to happen. You got one bad apple ruins the whole bunch, right? You think you can help. You can't. Don't even try, right? Okay, Proverbs 13, 20 says pretty much the same thing. Walk with the wise and become wise. I want to become wise. Um, for the companion of fools suffers harm. Now, doesn't Pastor Chris always say, if you're the smartest person in the room, find a new room? Right. right? Find a new room. If you're the smartest person there, find a new one. I always am like, who, can I who do I surround myself with? How can I get fed? Who can I have probably a few, I have a few people that I know I personally talk to on a, a weekly basis, if not, you know, pretty regularly, um, that really speak into my life because they'll hold me accountable for things I need to be held accountable for. They'll speak truth into my life. I know that they're going to tell me if I'm off track, if I'm not having, if I'm having a bad attitude, whatever it is. Because what happens is when you hang out with bad company, you, they, who keep their minds corrupt and in their emotions and actions, that's going to rub off on you. Now, we all know the verse, Hebrews 10, 25, it says, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as in a manner as some, but exhorting one another, right? A lot of people look at this as a church. Yes, it does mean church fellowship, but what are you doing outside of church fellowship? Who are you? Who are your teammates? Who are rallying around you? Who are you listening to? It's super important that there are a few people that you need to let in to keep you accountable and keep you on track. Does that sound good? Because you got to do it, guys. If you don't have anybody, 
come see me. I'll connect you with somebody, okay, because I'm serious about it. We have to do life together, guys. We're a body of believers. We're brothers and sisters in the Lord, and we do a bad job of this. It's really sad, but we're doing better, right? That's why, Guys, we have life groups coming up. There's cards in the foyer. Pick them up. There's, some this, there's like crazy amounts this weekend. I know I'm plugging that, but we got family movie night. We got uh, breakfast and bargains on Saturday. We got a 55 and over dance thing in the cafe. It's going to be super fun. Find out how you can get involved. Get connected with people. You know, it's super. You, who's your tribe? Who's the people that you're with? Because who speaks into your life with that kind of authority? Those types of relationships need to be identified once they're identified you need to pursue them once you've pursued them they need to be developed and maintained because they will serve to make you stronger in your walk with God because when you surround yourself with the right people you will win in all that you do last point are we ready you got to keep a clear conscience okay got to keep a clear conscience. You got to keep your, your spirit alive to the things and awaken to the things of the Lord. Um, Acts 24, 16. This is another really good verse. This is good because I have to remind myself when I get up in the morning to walk the bridge. This is the verse I read. You think I'm kidding? I really do because phew, it's fun. It says, therefore, I always exercise and discipline myself, mortifying my body, deadening my carnal affections, bodily appetites and worldly desires, endeavoring in all respects to have a clear, unshaken and blameless conscience, void of offense toward God and toward man. So this is all that we do. You have to keep your body under. Paul endeavored to keep his conscience clear before God and before man. He avoided those things that caused him to sin, avoid those things that grieve the heart of God because we can get to the place where we hear something ungodly and guys, a little alarm bell is going to go off on the inside of you. And you're going to think, oh, what is that? I really shouldn't be listening to this. Oh, I really shouldn't say that. Let me walk out of this conversation. Let me hit X on the internet browser. Let me do this. Whatever it is, how can you walk away from sin that grieves the Lord? Because as opportunities come and arise in any season of our life, I don't care if it's busy, guys, life is always going to be busy. If someone says something we shouldn't listen to, listen to that inner voice of your conscience and walk away from it because that helps you avoid the sin of offense because you're heightening your senses. When God says no, listen and obey because that no sometimes can be your next yes because when you say no to what God and you say, listen, God says no on this, I'm not going to do it, then that brings your next promotion because you're listening to what he says in your life because I don't care what happens, opportunities arise to become offended. James 4, 7 gives it super simple. Submitting yourselves, therefore, to God, resist the devil, and what happens? But he flees from you. When you, listen, it's the same way. When you yield to offense, you're yielding to the devil's influence, and you certainly don't have him on the run. Guess what, guys? He's got you on the run, right? But if we build that good defense like we've been talking about tonight, if, when you resist the devil and refuse offense, you're yielding to God, and then the devil runs off. Listen, through the years, we could all probably say, I've been offended and I've offended some people. Okay? Because I'm not shocked that people have been offended. Because listen, people go through stuff. Maybe they had a bad day at work. Maybe they woke up on the wrong side of the bed. Maybe their life is just a mess. You don't know what's causing it. But as believers, guys, we have to do everything in our power to communicate correct messages to one another. We got to communicate that to each other. Do everything in our power to bring healing and restoration when there is a misunderstanding. Guys, I don't like confrontation, but I don't like people being mad at me either. So I will try to avoid it. And guess what? If they don't do anything and they just leave mad, I got to let it go. I did what I needed to do. Because when it comes down to it, it's our choices, it's our actions, it's in what we do. You have to be aware that bitterness does, doesn't just hinder your walk. Because if that offense stays there, it turns to bitterness. It, it can also impede your fellowship with other people. That's why it's like a trap. Because if we stay trapped in offense, we'll die in there. It'll kill us in that trap. you got to make it your aim to overcome it. You may have suffered a hurt or an offense in the past that really harmed you terribly. You don't even know how you're going to get over it. It might have robbed you something that can never be returned. You know, but I want to say to you that a past tense problem 
will become a present tense issue when you refuse to let it go. Something that's happened in the past will become your present, but you have to let it go. If you don't get over that past offense, you will give in to the power to damage and even destroy you because you drag it around like garbage. Okay, like when I lived in an apartment complex, I used to throw the garbage on the back of my trunk and drive it to the dumpster. Anybody else? No? Okay. <laughs> Put it on, right? Dry. I'm not walking it. Are you kidding? It's 100 degrees in Florida. It's going on the, now it doesn't go in, but you think I drive to work with it on the back of my car? No, I'm throwing it in the trash. And in the same way, at some point you have to let it go. You got to throw out the trash of offense in your life and get over it for your own benefit and for the benefit of those around you. Because I don't know what you've been through. I don't know what you might be holding. But whatever it is, you can walk free from those negative emotions. You can walk free from attitudes if you make that decision to exercise that authority over your own heart and mind. You can come play. Um, and I want to take a moment because someone, no matter what offense it is, you cannot be offended unless you take offense to yourself. You make that choice. Because we all have a choice to make in this life. And it's a difficult lesson to learn, but we got to learn it. There's no other way to move forward in God. When offense is hurled at you, you have to deal with it scripturally the best way that you can. But if you can't find a peaceful solution, we're called to let it go. And as you do, you walk away free, not in a trap but free from the traps of the enemy, free to be all that God intended you to be, free to pursue the destiny that God's ordained for you. And guys, the only way that we can dismiss and release and let go of offense is to get into the presence of the Lord and to let him help you. All you got to do is come to him and close your eyes and say, Lord, I'm not willing to be bound by this offense. I refuse to be imprisoned and trapped by feelings of hurt, rejection, or humiliation. Right now, before you, I choose to let it go and walk in freedom because you choose freedom today. Avoiding that trap of offense by getting dressed in the morning and putting on that armor of God, by forgiving those people that hurt us, by abiding in his word, by cultivating the fruit of the spirit, by choosing the people around us wisely, and by keeping that clear conscience. What happens is, guys, those are the steps that are necessary to keep you living a life free, free from offense free from hurt, free from pain. I'm telling you, this is the only place to be is at his altar when you need to be free. If everyone would just stand on your feet, we thank you, Jesus. God, I thank you right now for each and every person that's in this place. God, I thank you. God, that you move on the hearts of those that need you. Do a work in their life. Set them free. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. If you're watching online and you're in this place and you want to, someone to stand in agreement with you to be free from offense, I'm happy to do that today because the Word of God is sharp and powerful. And he wants to give you peace and freedom in this place. Thank you, Lord. If that's you, you can either lift your hand or come down, whatever you're comfortable with. I can either pray corporately all together. Thank you, Jesus. I see those hands lifted in this place right there in your seat. Right there in your seat. Surrender that offense. Surrender that hurt. Jesus, Jesus. You guys want to pray that prayer with me? Let's pray. Say, Lord, I'm not willing to be bound 
by this offense. I refuse to be imprisoned and trapped by these feelings of hurt, rejection, or humiliation. Right now before you, I choose to let it go and walk in freedom. Thank you, Jesus. Tell him thank you. Thank you, God. Hallelujah. We thank you, God, for your freedom. We thank you, God, for your peace. We thank you, God, for change and transformation. Thank you for freedom, God. Thank you that you set us free, God. Free from every hurt, every pain, God. We thank you that it's nailed to the cross. We thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God, for that. Lord, we worship you and we honor you, God. We thank you, God, that we'll walk free all the days of our lives. That when the traps of the enemy come, God, that we can see it through the light of your word that is illuminated. And we thank you, God, that in the days to come, we endeavor to abide in your word and in your presence. Thank you, Jesus. And with that same prayerful attitude, you might be saying to me, I want to be free. I don't know Jesus. I didn't, I, I, I've heard of him, but I don't know him, but I want to know him. I want to be free. I want to be free. If that's you in this place or if you're watching online, I want to pray this prayer with me. Can you wave at me if you're going to pray that prayer for the first time? Yes, yes, I see those hands. Thank you, Lord. If everyone will pray this prayer with me, say, Dear Jesus, I ask you now to come live in my heart, to forgive me of my sins. Thank you that you make your home in me and that I walk in freedom and peace all the days of my life. I love you. I surrender my life. I make you Lord of my life. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen and amen. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. God is awesome. Praise the Lord. Thank you, guys. Thank you, guys. Listen, come out Sunday morning 9 or and 10.30 or 9 or 10.30. We're going to be talking about love. So come hang out. We're going to be talking about the fruit of love, okay? God bless you guys. We'll see you Sunday. Have a great night. Thank you for listening to this episode of Relevant Live with Pastor Chris. If you are interested in learning more about Relevant Church, we invite you to visit us today at relevantfl.org. And don't forget to subscribe to our channel to hear more messages like this one every single week. And as always, welcome home.